Good evening, everybody. Nice to see you tonight. How are you guys doing? I'm fine. Thank you, honey. (laughs) All right. Go ahead and have a seat, please. I'm glad you're here, man. You guys just encourage me when you're here. And I, I love the fact that we get to walk together down this road of faith and we get to say, God, what do you want for us? What do you want from us? What do you want through us? And so thanks for being here and for being a part of this with us today. Uh, we are celebrating 25 years together uh, in ministry as a church in this community and in this region. And most of you are aware of that by this time. And um, in the process of celebrating these 25 years, I thought it might be good just to kind of stop for a season, for a month, and just uh, talk together about some questions that I think if you will ask these questions, it will shape your spiritual life. So we're in a series called, very creatively, Five Questions. Okay, And the whole idea of these questions is they help you, they help us to orient our life around the gospel of Jesus Christ. We believe that God sent his son into this world because he loves the world so much that he wanted to rescue us. And he knew we were on our own path and he knew we were walking far from him. So he said, I want you. And in order to bring us back to him, he sent his son who lived a perfect, holy, holy, holy life. He died on a cross, not for his sins, not for his crimes, but for ours. And then God raised him from the grave. And that changes everything. And the thing that we believe about Jesus that's different from every other religion, every other story of faith, is we believe Jesus Christ rose from the grave and ascended into heaven. And now every moment of our lives prays to the Father for us. It's amazing. And that's our faith story. Now, what we're trying to do is figure out how to orient our lives around that story, around that gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I've found in my own life that the more I ask questions or the more that people ask me questions, the more it kind of clarifies what life is about and what's going on and how do I perceive things and, and, what's, uh, and what's the truth of life that's out there. And so I'm asking these questions. And over the last 25 years, we've asked some of these questions directly, and we've asked some of these questions indirectly. We're just going to put them all in a pile together this month and just walk through these questions one by one to help us orient our lives around the gospel of Christ. So two weeks ago, question number one was, what's your story? Thank you for asking. What's your story? And the beauty of that question is every person in the world has a story. Everybody. And we haven't all thought about it, but everyone has a story. And if you're a follower of Christ, your story includes somewhere a decision to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And that enters into your story and shapes your story. So when you ask someone else, what's your story? If they're a follower of Christ, they're going to weave that in somewhere. When they ask you, what's your story? You're going to weave that thing in about Jesus and what he means to you. And so this is a tool for us to ask one another, what's your story? What's your story? Well, what's your story? And we share that together. You can use that tool to ask your neighbors, hey, what's your story? And it's it's a very easy, comfortable tool to be able to open a conversation and they'll begin to tell you their story. Now, they might not tell you all of it. They might tell you all of it and you wish you hadn't asked. You know, that's how it goes sometimes. Don't, don't ask the question if you're in a hurry, right? But sometimes we'll ask a question and they'll begin to answer. And sometimes if you ask somebody else, hey, what's your story? They'll return the favor. They'll say, well, what's your story? And now they've given you an open invitation to say, here's my story of faith in Christ. 
because you were willing to ask them first. What's your story? That's question number one. Now, we'd like, we'd, I'd love to hear your story. Some of you have written them down and given them to me. Some of you have emailed your story to me. That's been amazing to read some of those. We have a, a, a site on our website. So you go to lakesidechurch.com slash my story, and there's a blank page in there where you can write your story and send it to us. And we're just reading through those, and, if, and uh, some of them might be useful. We say, hey, that's going to that's gonna relate. That story will relate to a message we're going to do down the road or something like that. And we'd just love to be able to hear your story. So if you want to do that, you can check it out and, and uh, send that to us, okay? So that's question number one. What's your story? Now, last week we did question number two, which was... Who's your wingman? Right, so you're with me on this, okay? So who's your wingman? That's all about the idea that nobody lives the Christian life alone. It's really an odd thing when people go, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. It's like, well, then how are you going to figure out how to be one? And how are you going to live in community? Because you can't be a Christian without living around other folks, right? God created us to be social beings. He made us male and female. He, he put us in groups. Uh, Jesus had disciples who followed him around. They were in a group. Paul had disciples who followed him around. They were in a group. We're relational beings, and that's how God designed us. There's some ancient, ancient church fathers who decided, you know, we're going we're gonna to live a holy life. And so they decided, one guy decided he'd go out and sit on a pole in the desert for like 40 years. To, to, so he could live the Christian life. I'm like, I don't get it. I don't know how you sit on a pole in the desert, buy your onesies for 40 years, and go, oh, I was a good Christian. Because how'd you love other people in the process of that? And yet sometimes in our world, we're, we're like, well, I'm gonna isolate myself, and I'll just do it myself. And Jesus says, no, that really is not how it works. It works in community. It works with a wingman. It works with somebody who's going to walk beside you. And when you fall, they're going to pick you up. And when they fall, you're going to lift them up. It happens in a small group where there's several people around us who may be a wingman or a wingwoman to us. And they're going to be our companion and someone who encourages us and whom we encourage in our faith. Who's your wingman? And at some point, you have to answer that question. And you might be in a spot right now where you don't have one. But sooner or later, you keep asking, and God's going to bring that person along who's going to be the encourager to your faith and be the one that you're going to encourage their faith. It matters. Who's your wingman? And that brings us to the third question in our series, question number three that we're going to talk about today. And the question is framed for us in Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 22. So if you have your copy of the Bible there, or you have your smartphone, if that's got the Bible on it, or you want to reach over and grab one off the chair, that's great. And uh, let's, just, let's just walk through this story in Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 22. Here's how it goes. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got in a boat and set, and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where's your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Now, if you've been a follower of Jesus for very long, you've heard that story before. If you've hung out with us at Lakeside Church for very long, you've heard that story before. I've told this story before, but I want to walk back through because it leads us to the next question that we're going to address together. 
Jesus says to his disciples, you know, on one day, he, he says to his disciples, hey, you guys, let's go to the other side of the lake. Now, that sounds fairly innocuous to us. We have a lake. We know how to get to the other side. You can start over here at Folsom Point and go over to Beals Point. You can start at Beals Point, come across to Folsom Point. We get that part. It's just going to the other side of the lake. John Ortberg, in his book, Who Is This Man?, wrote about this whole topic, and he said, the other side was sort of a technical term in that generation. It was the other side. See, when the people of Israel came in under the leadership of Moses and Joshua and they crossed the Jordan River and they conquered the promised land, they, they took out some of those nations and there were wicked nations that were sacrificing their own children to their gods in the fire and, their, and on their altars. And they, and they killed some and they drove some out to, to conquer this place. And the ones who survived, the ones of these nations who survived, they migrated back across the Jordan River and then up north to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And they settled in this area called Decapolis, which means ten cities. Now, the people that lived there were pagans. They, they practiced pagan rituals. They practiced worship services where they glorified violence and sex and greed. In their worship services, they would commit acts of sex. They would, they would sex acts in their worship programs to say, oh, this will make us, you know, tighter with our God. A lot of people really like that religion, you know, as you can figure out because they would have liked it in our generation too. Well, they were pagans and, they were, and the whole practice was repulsive to the Jews, the, the most sacred animal to the Canaanite nations who migrated into the, the ten cities area, their most sacred animal was a pig. Now, to the Jews, the pig was the dirtiest animal you know, around, and God wouldn't allow them to eat it. God wouldn't allow them to sacrifice it to them. But if you went over to the Decapolis, the worship services, they sacrificed pigs to their gods. And so no self-respecting Jewish rabbi would ever suggest to his followers, hey, you guys, let's go over to the other side. Because the other side is the side of our enemy. The other side is the side of the outsiders. The other side is the side of the outcasts. Nobody goes to the other side. It's sort of like, I mean, we have, we have other sides today, right? Any Giants fans? Yeah, good. Okay, so you, so you, if you're a Giants fan, if you're a baseball fan, you'll get this. If you're, if you're not a baseball fan, come back next week. Okay. I'll help you out. So, but you, you'll get this, right? So if you're a Giants fan, you, you have a team you root for, yes? You love them. Well, not very much, but sort of. Okay. So anyway, so then the Giants, there's the Giants, and then there's the other side. Like, it, yeah, right, it's the dark side, right? Who... Who, don't say it loudly because we're in church, but who are those guys? Who? Right. It's the, it's the men in blue. It's the, it's, it's the Dodgers. Right? And they're the other side. And if you're a sportsman, you're like, oh, yeah, we love our guys and we hate the other guys. It's the other side. Well, imagine that for the Jews times a thousand. Because this is not just which baseball team do you like better. This is like, this is like whose God is the real God. And this is like whose Whose worship practices are um, pleasing to God and which are repulsive to God? And no Jewish rabbi would take his group and get in a boat and go to the other side. And one day, Jesus says to his disciples, hey, let's go to the other side. Now, it doesn't say this in the Bible. You ever read, when you're reading the scriptures and you're reading some of these stories, do you ever think, what's the emotion 
And I, I look at these scriptures, and I'm like, wow, you, you left a lot out. Luke, you, you, you could have given us a little bit more. So it says, you know, Jesus said, let's go to the other side. So they got in a boat and, and set out. Boom, boom. I'm not sure it played out like that. I mean, you know, in general, that's how it played out. But I, th- I think between let's go over to the other side and so they got in a boat and set out, there was a long, dramatic, awkward pause. And in the middle of that, Peter said under his breath to his brother, Andrew, did he say the other side? And James is elbowing John. It's like, John, does he really say he wants us to go to the other side? And John doesn't want to answer because he doesn't know what to say because he's never heard of a rabbi saying to his team, let's go to the other side. And so I think there's this pause, there's this delay while they're trying to figure out what in the world is he talking about? What does he want from us? But after a pause, they decide to get in a boat and they set out for the other side. Now, they get in this boat, they sit out in the, somewhere in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and a storm descends on them. Must have felt like an omen to them. Bad sign. It's like, I knew it. I knew God didn't want us to go. Lord Jesus, you shouldn't take us over here. This is a bad idea. And there's this storm, and it descends on them. Now, the Sea of Galilee is 600 feet below sea level. So you have the Mediterranean Sea, and then you have the Galilean Range, and then that descends down here into the Sea of Galilee, and storms literally descended on the Sea of Galilee, and they came up furiously, and they came up suddenly, and they came up dramatically, and that's how this storm was. And suddenly the storm is a squall, and the boat becomes a bathtub because it's filling up with water, and the disciples become terrified of what's going on. They come to Jesus, and they're shouting at Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Or they say, Master, Master, we're going to drown. And then it says, Jesus woke up. You ever have trouble sleeping? Anybody ever have trouble sleeping? Yeah, what's wrong with us? Because it looks like Jesus had no problem whatsoever. He's in the back of a boat that's about to go down, and he's sound asleep, right? In my life, I have very little trouble falling asleep. I almost never have trouble falling asleep. My problem is not going to sleep. My problem is when I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning, getting back to sleep. And I'm like, I'm praying. I'm like, God, I trust you. And God, here's, my, here's the scriptures that I know. And I'm, I'd really like to go back to sleep tonight. But my mind's going about all the things that are coming at 5.30 the next morning. I got meetings and I got, I got appointments and I got stuff to do and sermons to write. And I, I, I'm never going to get back to sleep. And I'm like, Jesus is not like me. He's in the back of a boat on a cushion, sound asleep. The boat's going down. He's surrounded by professional fishermen. They come to him and they're shouting, Master, we're going to drown. And he wakes up. And I, again, this is not in the Bible. I'm I'm, I'm telling you honestly, this part's not in the Bible. But I think Jesus woke up. I think he stood up. And I think he stretched it out. And then he looked at his disciples to see what they were doing. And they're, they're like terrified. And so then he says to the, to the winds, be quiet. And to the waves, be still. 
And suddenly there was a raging calm. The calm was in the waters. The raging was in the disciples' hearts because they looked around at one another and they said, Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? And they're certain that God's about to judge them for preparing to go to the other side. And instead, Jesus stands up and calms the water. And I I just believe when Jesus calms the water, it's the kind of water now that you want to go water skiing on. Because it's calm. And then Jesus says this. Where's your faith? Where's your faith? And it turns out that's question number three. I mean, that's, that's the question we need to ask ourselves. It's an evaluative question. It's this question that helps us get clarity. It's, it helps us line up our heart with God's heart. He says, where's your faith? You have to ask yourself the question, Where's your faith? I have to ask myself the question every day. Where's my faith? In my life, I want to evaluate my life. I'm constantly evaluating my life. I'm constantly asking, where am I in my Christian life? And what's going on with me? And I want to evaluate my faith. And I want to know if I'm making any progress. I want to know if I'm moving forward in my life. And here's a question that helps me. Where's your faith? The disciples of Jesus have now been with him for a while. If you read through the Gospel of Luke up through, up, up through chapter 7, you'll find out that Jesus has already healed that paralyzed man. His buddies brought him and dropped him through the roof. And Jesus looked at him and he said, Hey, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees got all torqued with that. And they said, You can't forgive sins. No one can forgive sins but God alone. Jesus said, Oh yeah, watch this. Get up and walk. And the guy gets up, takes up his mat, rolls it up, puts it under his arm, and walks out the door. The disciples were there. They saw that happen. They'd already heard the Sermon on the Mount. They'd already heard that thing about love your neighbor and love your enemy. Nobody talked like that. Now, we're, we're all familiar with that. We're like, oh, yeah, we're supposed to love our neighbor. And, oh, yeah, we're Christians. We're supposed to love our enemy. We, we sort of get that because it's got 2,000 years of, of history built into our consciousness. But that was shocking to them. But they'd already heard Jesus say that. And now they're in a boat getting ready to go over to the other side where the enemy lives. And Jesus looks around at them and says, where's your faith? Where's yours? Today. Where's your faith? It's an evaluative question. So you can say, well, you know, I I was over here and and now I'm over here. Or or I was up here, but now I'm back here. Where's your faith? It's a tool to let us evaluate. Are we making progress in our journey? One of the things I've learned about my faith is that it is not always making consistent progress forward. Have you noticed that with your life? 
you know, a little bit forward, a little bit back, a little bit up and a little bit down, sometimes a lot down. I noticed this with my children. I realized my children are all in their 20s. No one's living at home anymore. None of our children are living at home anymore. And uh, so, you know, I've, I've had some time to reflect on where I am in faith with my children. And I realized when my children were young, I'm, I had all these thoughts. I thought, my children are going to be these great passionate, amazing followers of Christ. And I was sure they were because I had my hands on their shoulders. And if they started going to the right, I said, no, 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 this way. If they started going to the left and the wrong path, I'm like, oh, no, 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 this way. And I just, I thought I had this great faith for my children. As long as I had my hand on their shoulders. And then one left the house to go to college and another left the house to go to the military and another left the house to go to college. And then I'm watching them out there. And I'm, so I'm watching them make these choices. I'm like, oh God, what are they doing? And I realized with my children, it was easier to trust God with them when my hands were on their shoulders. And when my hands got removed from their shoulders, I found out that my faith wasn't as far along as I thought. And God comes to me, and this goes pretty regularly in my life these days, where's your faith? In regard to your children, where's your faith? When Lakeside Church was in the early days, my faith was strong. I mean, it was exciting, and, and uh, we, were, we were doing some fun stuff, and some amazing things were happening, and people were coming to faith in Christ all the time. We were having these bapti- baptisms, and there was great celebrations of the things that God was doing, but that all required faith, and I'm like, God, I'm in. I'm, gonna, I'm out here to live by faith. We moved to Folsom and started a church because we wanted to live by faith, and we said, starting a church is going to make us trust God. Yes, sir. It does. And so in those early days, I'm like, I'm constantly trusting God. So if he said, where's your faith? I'm like, it's right here, front and center. I used to go door to door and knock on doors and invite people to come to church. I hate that. You know, some of you are salesmen or salespersons or whatever. And you're like, you love this stuff, you know. Cold calling, you're just like, that's the greatest day in the world. I'm like, never. And, but... I was committed because I'm trying to reach people with the gospel. And so I just scheduled part of my time to go out door to door. And I'd give gifts to them and notepads that said Lakeside Church and magnets for your refrigerator that said Lakeside Church. And I'd give them all this Lakeside Church swag, right? You know, and leave it there for them or give it to them or whatever. But I'd sit in my little pickup truck that I had in those days. And I'd pull into the neighborhood that I was going to visit that day. And I'd white knuckle my neighborhood, even though I was parked and the motor was not running. Did I say white knuckle the neighborhood? That's not what I meant. Do you see how nervous I was? I white-knuckled that steering wheel, even though I wasn't moving, because I'm like, this is terrifying. And I'd sit there in my truck, and I'd pray, oh, God, oh, God, I'm going to go knock on doors. I'm going to invite them to come to church, and it's really frightening, but I'm going to do it because I want to trust you. And he would say, where's your faith? And I'd say, it's right here. And I'd get out of my truck and go walk down the sidewalk and walk up to someone's door. And in those days, that was just sort of what we had to do. But look at the church now. I mean, look at it now. It's like people come and you're talking to your neighbors and you're loving your neighbors and things are going on. We've got a great worship team. We've got small groups everywhere. And we've got missions everywhere in the city and outside the city. We've got all this amazing stuff going on. Man, it's a lot easier not to trust God today. Oddly, yes. Truthfully, yes. And every day, 
God comes back to me in regard to my faith in him for this church. And he says, where's your faith? On that day when they're in the boat, the disciples woke up Jesus, but Jesus gave them the wake-up call. And that question, where's your faith, that was the wake-up call for his disciples. Because Jesus said, ooh, you think it's a big deal to calm the storm? I'm going to ask you to believe bigger things than that. You're going to see more amazing things than that in your life. You're going to find harder things to do in your life than that. You think this is it? You're going to have to believe greater things than this in your life. Where's your faith? At Lakeside, we have this thing called the Pathway of a Disciple, and it's a tool that we put together. It's on our website, and it's just designed to help you realize this, that every Christian is designed by God to make progress in the faith. And every one of us is on a journey in this track with Christ, right? And some of us are just getting started with Jesus. You're just, you're, you're sort of researching him. You're talking to your friends. You're like, I didn't grow up in church and I don't really get this, this Jesus thing and how does this all work? And so you're just investigating and you're asking and that's beautiful. And some of you haven't even crossed the line of faith yet where you said, Jesus, I'm in, I trust you. Some of you are still back before that line of faith. God bless you. We will do everything we can to help you cross that line. Some of you, a lot of you, a lot of us have crossed the line of faith and we said, Jesus, I'm going to follow you with everything I have. And then we're making this progress down the road of faith. And now Jesus says, I want you to figure out where you are in your faith. Because if you're in the same space today that you were yesterday, you're not making progress. And the question is designed to ask about progress. Where's your faith? And truthfully, nobody's faith starts here and goes just like that in a straight line. We go forward and then we go back and we go up and then we go down. And when that's, it's the turbulence of the Sea of Galilee in our faith lives. But Jesus wants you to evaluate it. And he says, when, when the stuff comes into your life, where's your faith? And I've learned there's three questions that I want to ask when it comes to my own faith, three areas of faith that I want to say I want to be faith-filled and I want to walk forward with Christ. I want to ask, where's my faith in regard to these things? So here's, here's three things. Where's my faith in response to storms? How does my faith respond to storms? If storms come into your life and every time those storms come in, you're like, ah! And you freak out and you don't know how to follow Christ anymore. Where's your faith? He wants your faith to grow so that sometimes when those storm comes, you respond like Jesus, not like the disciples. And you just said the storm, peace, be still. Where's your faith when the storms come? Second question, where's your faith when you are confronted by enemies? See, Jesus was taking them to the other side of the lake. That's where their enemies lived. That's where their enemies were in charge. And he's taking them to the other side. And in the middle of it, he stops with the storm. And he says, where's your faith in regard to your enemies? We saw this week how, how some people who follow the Islamic religion, how they respond to their enemies. 
Jesus is the first one and maybe the only one who says, not just love your neighbor, not just love your family, but love your enemies. And you will know how your faith is doing when you check it by how you respond in faith through love towards your enemies. Political enemies, business enemies, religious enemies, neighbor enemies who play their music too loud at night. Enemies. Where's your faith? And then the third question I want to ask is, where's your faith when opportunities come? How does my faith respond to opportunities? Because those are out there as well. And if I'm tuned up in faith and an opportunity presents itself to me, I'm ready for it. But if my faith is not tuned up and tuned in, when the opportunity comes, I'm not ready for it. And I don't take advantage of that opportunity for Christ's sake. Where's your faith? Wherever you are in the journey, whatever the boat is doing in your life today, where's your faith? Ask yourself the question. Ask your small group members the question. Ask your neighbors the question. After you've asked them, what's your story? And let's see what God does among us. Lord, thanks for these things. Thank you for this story. Jesus, you amaze me. The the way you uh, lived with your disciples, the way you challenged their faith and you stimulated their faith. I'm grateful to you for that. And Lord, for us, I pray for every one of us that we would learn to walk by faith, that we would learn to respond to, to challenges, to storms, to our enemies and to opportunities with faith. I pray that we would be better at it tomorrow than we are today. I pray that the next storm that comes along, we would not freak out about it, but we would be able to stop and say, no, no, peace. If not peace out there, peace in here. I pray that we would live by that kind of faith, Lord. It comes from your grace, and so we ask you for it. It comes from your grace. Lord, thank you for hearing our prayer. Amen. What's your story? Who's your wingman? Where's your faith? Start asking your friends that. Start asking your small group that. Start asking your family that. And see how that brings the ability for us to orient our lives around the good news of Jesus.